Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, hi, and welcome. I am your host, Emma Gunnar-Wardner, and in my nearly 20-year career as a beauty and health writer, I have interviewed a lot of people, supermodels, entrepreneurs, authors, celebrities, and doctors, and many of these conversations had a real impact on me, and I'd come away feeling inspired, excited, informed, and really empowered, and at the back of my mind, I'd always think, I wish I could just publish the tape so people could really feel that conversation. Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you, whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. Have you ever felt stifled, whether that's in a job or in your personal life? Have you ever felt as though the environment you're in isn't serving you well? Perhaps you feel stuck. And perhaps the effect of this is that you're moving further and further away from the version of yourself you usually are, or at least you should be, you think you should be. In this episode, I'm joined by Frances Edmonds, who explores this idea of reframing your thinking, resetting your purpose and rejuvenating yourself via the metaphor of repotting over and over again. And why do we need to do this? Well, for one thing, we are living a lot longer. And so this idea of learning up until the age of 21 or thereabouts, if you go into further education, and that being where your learning ends seems foolhardy. Furthermore, we're living in a dynamic world where the innovations and advancements in technology mean that if you're not constantly learning, read Keeping Up Listener, then your skill set will quickly become redundant or even obsolete. Plus, in the last year especially, there's been an opportunity to reassess one's priorities with a lot of people asking themselves the question, do I want to go back to the life I was living? Perhaps what was tolerable before the perspective-changing pandemic hit now looks completely different. If you're risk-averse, then change might be one of the last things you'd be keen to explore, but Francis makes an excellent case for constant repotting to make your world larger and to enrich the life you're living. In this episode, Francis and I discuss why repotting is all about learning how to manage life's transitions and changes and how empowering it is when you realize the situation you are in is suboptimal so that you can then move away from it. We also discuss how important it is to get to know yourself and your patterns so you can name the behaviors that might be limiting you, accept them and change them. We also talk about how failure is one of life's greatest teachers. Not that we should all go out and try to fail, but if it happens and you can look at it objectively and see what went wrong, you can move forward with great purpose from it. We also champion the growth mindset and the three H's of humility, humanity and humour and why you get to choose your genre and also why having a purpose is so important. I adored chatting to Frances. I loved her expertise and her perspective. And as you'll hear in the show, I've definitely had experience where experiences where I wish I could have had the good sense to repot myself and take ownership of my situation and move away from the things that were not serving me. Also, 
Since we recorded this episode, I've put so much of her wisdom into action. I'm seeking out books, podcasts and people that I would never normally come across in order to make my world bigger. I've put a little distance between me and the conversations and relationships that felt negative or like an echo chamber. Listener, this has been amazing and eye-opening. And I've also really taken away from Francis that the greatest gift I can give myself is to keep my mind open and to keep learning. I take something away from all my guests, but with Frances, I've really been mindful to put a lot of what she says into action. And so I hope you feel as motivated and entertained because she is one hell of a storyteller as I did from the time we spent together. All the links to Frances and her book, Repotting Your Life, which I highly recommend, will be in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. But please join me in welcoming Frances Edmonds onto The Emma Gunn Show. Welcome to the podcast, Frances Edmonds. How are you? I'm very well, Emma. How about you? I'm very well and really excited to speak to you. Really excited to speak to you. Oh, well, that's very touching. <laughs> we'll see how that goes, shall we? <laughs> because you have written uh, an incredible book, but, but I, uh, you have a very wonderful perspective on life, I think, I believe, in a way that means that I think that you probably have a really good key for maximising life? Well, I think the thing is, there are very few um, advantages to hitting the springtime of your senility, which I have done. But one of them is the kind of the wisdom that comes with deep middle age, which is don't sweat the petty stuff and concentrate on the big stuff. And I think it was, um, yes, it was, it was the philosopher, you know, Soren Kierkegaard, who said, life is lived forwards, but only understood backwards. So it's only when you really do reach kind of deep middle age that you understand the journey you've come on and actually try to start making some sense of it. And I think now, I mean, when I started this book, Repotting Your Life, it was not with COVID in mind. It was really to talk about managing transitions in life and managing changes. But right now, the whole world is repotting. And we'll have a look at that metaphor in a minute, because it might not mean a lot to people who aren't gardeners. But actually, right now, everybody's looking at the situation they're in or the life they've lived, the world we're in, the environment we're in. And I think just about everybody, anybody with any kind of decency or common sense is thinking, are we can we build back better? Can we manage things better? Do I want to live the life I've been leading? Is the situation, the job, the relationship, the work balance situation I'm in, is that correct? So I think a lot of people right now are having a look, good look at their lives and figuring out how they can sort of renew, revivify, rejuvenate themselves for the future. Because I think a lot of people right now are living in this kind of pandemic freeze or this pandemic fatigue. And I think we all really need some help in moving forward to, to live a better life, live our best selves, as they say in California. Yeah. Live our best selves. And I know, don't you just love it? I've come from Stanford, so I'm full of these Californianisms. Yeah. <laughs> I really enjoyed actually traveling to Stanford with you just as a side note in the book. I thought it was really interesting. But uh, I tell you why it spoke to me. Uh, I have used the, uh, the repotting metaphor many times. So I stayed in a job for 10 years. And throughout that time, I would say, I feel like I just need to be repotted. So within that role, I would try and make it bigger. I would try and make it better. I would try and take on more responsibility. And guess what? <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> You needed a completely new part, Emma. You were you just you, listen. It's quite interesting. This this repotting metaphor. Let's just explain it because a lot of people who aren't gardeners won't get what we're talking about. 
I, uh, I hit, as I say, deep middle age. I was 65. My daughter was grown up. None of the work I was doing was kind of enthusing me. None of the relationships I am seem to be working. And, you know, you hit this wall and you think, well, what can I do about this? How can I, you know, what's going on? What's wrong with the situation? Ostensibly to other people, it might seem like it's all all right. But to you, it's not. There's this niggle within you. And I want to drill down on that if we have time about people who are just in situations that are suboptimal, but they don't don't necessarily think it's dramatically wrong but they do know that something's wrong and I really was I was watching a gardening program on telly and the the, the gardening expert the presenter just was rocking around his garden and he found this plant in a pot and it wasn't dead but it wasn't thriving either and he said look at this pot you know look at this plant here and he pulled the plant out of the pot and it was the roots were all going round and round in circles and they were in this tight little ball and he said this plant is pot bound it's it's not got enough nutrients the environment is wrong the pot is too small unless I repot it it's going to die oh my goodness I'm pot bound I gotta get out of my pot I've got to repot and anyway, it's a long story, but uh, you know, when the when the student is ready, the master will appear. And when you start, you know, admitting that things are wrong or looking around or asking people what they're up to. And great friends of mine were going off on a program uh, at Stanford, which was a, a group of sort of 25 fellows from all over the world, all different sort of nationalities, cultures, creeds, everything. And all put together, as I say, in the springtime of our senility in this program, based on purpose and wellness and community. And, you know, it felt like going back to school again. It really did feel like your first day at school, you know, when you got your new little satchel and your new little shoes and you're feeling sick, you know, and you want your mummy. But, you know, like I was 65. My mother was five and a half thousand miles away. And this was Stanford Graduate School of Business. And I was walking there to get my sort of identification, you know, sort of little sort of uh, sort of card up to the Graduate School of Business at Stanford, the epicentre of Silicon Valley, you know, like the, you know, the, the, the citadel of startups, Google, Facebook, I mean, really sharp kids. And there was this little plaque as I went into the entrance of the Graduate School of Business. And it was a, a, a quotation from one of the early deans and it said, repotting, that's how you get new bloom. You must have a plan of accomplishment. And when that is achieved, you should be willing to start off again. I thought, oh my God, he's speaking to me. You know, how many how many lessons do you need? This is repotting. Now, everybody can't just uproot and go to Stanford, you know, and have such a wonderful experience and a sort of transformational experience as I did. But these are lessons for everybody, how you kind of, you find that you're in a situation that is no longer helping you thrive. You uproot and then you make a plan for the next stage of your life. So I, I, those are the lessons I've tried to share in the book. Mm, very much so. And let's go back because you said you wanted to drill down and into it, into these suboptimal conditions. Yeah. I was uh, doing a job a few years ago and on the surface, it should have been amazing. And I remember a few weeks in explaining it to my brother. My brother comes from a very corporate background. I obviously am media, which is slightly different. And I explained what was going on and he said, it sounds like a suboptimal working environment and you should leave. <laughs> Listen, you should have been writing this book with me. It's exactly that. And everybody else says, isn't this terrific? And you're thinking, it might be for you, but it's not working for me. Now, listen, we don't want everybody to listen to this podcast and <laughs> throw their own in the town, leave their jobs and leave their relationships. But if stuff is going on in your life, and you know what, it, sometimes the, 
the body expresses what the mind represses. You know mm-hmm. things aren't right. And, you know, when people are either drinking too much or eating too much or not sleeping enough or can't sleep or they're unhappy for one reason or another, or sometimes it's a physical manifestation, something's wrong. Sometimes, sometimes it is something that's going wrong in your life. And I think the first step in trying to get out of these suboptimal arrangements is to name what it is. In all honesty, to name what it is. Because only when you've named what the problem is, can you start getting out of it? I mean, you know, if people are eating too much, drinking too much, it's not that you're just eating too much or drink. There's a reason you're doing that. And you have to actually take the time out, I think, to drill down in the patterns of your life. Now, some of the patterns of our lives are very good patterns. You know, I have a neurosis for punctuality, and that's because I emerged from a nursery line convent in Chester. You know, <laughs> and one of the less destructive legacies of that convent school education is that I am neurotically punctual. Now, that's not a bad pattern, but it is a pattern. There are other patterns, which I'm not going to share on a podcast, that are not so positive. But we're all, we're all victims of our patterns. Now, unless you identify your pattern, and in all honesty... You'll never, you'll never get out of it. So it's like name the pattern. At that point, you can at least respond to it rather than, than react mindlessly to it. And you can start changing those patterns. Right, that's the psychology of it. But when you get to situations, jobs, relationships, or even a time in your life, Emma, like the empty nest syndrome, or you know, when people retire and they've had the organizing principle of a job, especially if you've clambered up the corporate hierarchy and you've had, you know, the big name and the big, you know, office and the sort of the, you know, you've had the title then all of a sudden that organising principle is gone from your life. You've got to build back again from the bottom of the ladder with a, well, I call it a beginner's mindset. It's the humility to start off again because no matter how big a deal you are in one environment, if you have a beginner's mindset, you'll have to leave that environment and start from the bottom of a different ladder with all humility. And actually that takes some guts on occasion, starting from the bottom again and working your way up. It really does. And I think it goes against what I I think a lot of people, maybe lots of people listening to this podcast, maybe thought the model of a good life looks like. A good life looks like constantly accumulating and growing and gathering and becoming bigger and stronger. And actually, the idea of going back to the beginning, which I love an 80s movie montage when a protagonist does do that. But that is the thing that actually you want to avoid when actually, I think and I believe you believe this too, it's something to embrace. Absolutely, look, here's the thing too. The general trend nowadays is that we are living longer. Life expectancy is extending. A baby born today has every chance of living to 100. I mean, I studied at the Centre on Longevity in Stanford, and this is really interesting because it's public health and it's advances in medicine that a baby born today will, in all probability, end up a centurion, 100 years old. Whereas at the beginning of the 19th century, life expectancy was 60 to 70. So we have 30 gifted extra years. What we don't have is the institutions or the culture to deal with that new reality. So we still have the three chapter life. You learn, you go to school, you're educated, you go to college or an institution or university or you learn a trade. You earn, you know, you, you work for a living and then you retire. And the make, you make sure that you, you know, pop your clogs before the lolly runs out or whatever. Three chapters. So that's the model that we have now that this chapter no longer works because look at it now look at the skills you need or you're constantly going to have to be reskilling so i think you people will be oscillating in and out of work they'll be oscillating in and out of personal and professional development oscillating in and out of time out how we manage that i don't know this is the new model that's going to be a reality i mean we look around us now and we see a lot of people in the gig economy nobody very few people from now on in and are going to have a job for life and 
a gig economy doesn't mean necessarily an Uber driver or a, a Deliveroo sort of deliverer. Actually, freelance people, people who are self-employed, they're living in a gig economy. So you're going to have to constantly upskill yourself, you know, roll with the new reality, be curious, be interested and actually be, be prepared to grow and start again at the bottom of a different ladder. So this kind of linear progression up the organogram is not going to be the model for the vast majority of people in the future. That begs the question, what mindset, skill set and tool set do you need? And that's what I try and sort of disentangle in, in repotting your life. It's it's true, isn't it? It's just this kind of this reality that you think lies ahead of you. Yeah. It's something that you have to continue to carve. It's not something that you sort of you get into a groove and then it carries you along. Yeah. You have to be the architect of it. for forever. Yes, you do have to be the architect. And I mean, and we're mindful of the fact that not everybody has the possibility to do it. You know, you have to have good health, good educational policy, giving opportunities to all. But I mean, I you we're talking about the careers and the pots that you've been in. You know, I think of mine, modern linguist. Uh, international conference interpreter. Then I was married to a, an England cricketer. I wrote books about that. So professional cricket widow. Then I did some writing and broadcasting. Then I ended up with a building company. Then I got involved in a business development network. So you're oscillating in and, in, in and out of all sorts of different things. I mean, I only ever wanted to be a ballerina was the problem. <laughs> Unfortunately, I sort of, I injured a groin muscle. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't my own. But anyway, <laughs> I think he went on to, to sing lead soprano in the Vienna Boys Choir. But we never, we never, we all have ideas of what we want to be. And it doesn't actually pan out like that. So, but what you do accumulate as you go along in life is a skill set and a mindset. And when people have sort of qualities like resilience or curiosity or the willingness to learn, or, or the willingness to change. I think those are the skill sets. Those are the new skill sets that I really think people need to nurture. And and also we have to organize institutions, cultures, educational systems that foster and nurture those that kind of that kind of skill set. Fostering that skill set. Mm. It's so interesting that that's the way that really is. It's a big shift. From how... It is a big shift. I mean, look, uh, when I was going to school, they, they, they filled you full of facts and you passed exams. And, you know, one was really quite well, in my case, yeah, that's what I could do. Then you realise education, oh, I forget who it was, was it Mark Twain? It shouldn't be about filling buckets. It should be about lighting fires. And, and that's, in fact, what you want to encourage in children. I mean, you don't want to be so sort of dismissive of of sort of old disciplines that kids don't know what two and two is or that every time they want an answer they have to google it on the other hand really the the, the ability to look at what's happening now the, the the advances of technology the things you're going to have to be able to do so i think sort of qualities like resilience creativity um you know, and then also ephemerals and intangibles like you know ethics, behaviour, decency, these kind of things that nobody ha nobody has a checklist for these things nowadays, and yet these are the things that that machine learning or artificial intelligence can't replicate. So anything that human beings can do and do better than the artificial intelligence and the technology will be precious skills in the future, mm. which is why I think, darling, there's still, there's still gaps for us, these people in the liberal arts and the media who are not systems engineers. Maybe there will be work for us in the future. Who knows? Let's hope. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I've, I've worked in the beauty industry as a beauty writer for such a long time, and the old school beauty PRs, will hang their heads when they hear about how 
the younger generation of PRs maybe do meetings. And one of the little things, Francis, that might sound odd, is that when you meet a PR at a restaurant, they always sit with their back to the room and they let the journalist or the writer or whoever they're hosting have the best seat. And they hang their heads when they hear that the younger generation haven't been taught that. Ooh, it's just a little all thing. All of those little things. All of those little things. Yeah. The thank you note at the end of things. The you know the sort of the gratitude. Yes, it's a, it's it'll be a melding of old school and new school, and it's it's not to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but it's to understand what's important in life, and it's mm. to and then roll with the new, roll with the new. So that's in fact what I did. I mean, you cannot imagine. Uh, my I went first of all to university in nineteen seventy. Can wow. you imagine? Don't do the math, darling. Don't do the math. No, no, but I bet that was a very <laughs> cool time. To well, it was. It was. It was a time. It was a time. And I went to Cambridge when it was just three women's colleges and all the rest were men. So it was, you know, ten men to every one woman, and they were all sort of public school types. You know, who'd had a sort of a nanny in a public school, and you'd come from some itsy bitsy convent up in Chester, and they're like, oh my god. So it was a bit of a learning curve. So to go back to university again which was terrific because it was like going back to university, you know, the smartest university, the toughest university in the world, but without the, without the acne and the adolescent angst. <laughs> it, was like, it was like being a real student again and just learning. Do you know the other thing too is we talk about mentoring a lot and it, you tend to think, oh, it'll be older people mentoring younger people. But I had, it, it's reverse mentoring too, that, you know, you can, you can, I can, we can all. You just learn from other people, whether they're younger or older, different cultures. That I love that too, because I mean, my stock in trade was languages and modern languages, and I just, I'm just massively interested in cross-cultural communication. You know, otherwise life is really just viewed in black and white. And so I, I do think all this kind of understanding and reaching out to all sorts of people, different, homogenous people of different ages so I think we do have the conversation now about inclusion and diversity but within that conversation we're still not really including the age sort of element of the diversity and there is no doubt about it you know you know hit 60 and why don't you just go into some high security twilight home and shut up and play golf or whatever and actually at 60 you're only beginning to get going you know you've got 100 years you've got maybe 40 years left you're only beginning to get up to speed so i think these are the kind of conversations we'll have to have for this brave new post-pandemic world really this is something else that came when you talk about mentoring and learning from lots of different people this is something that really uh, struck me is that it's very seductive to live in quite a small community, whether it's business or personal, know that intimately yeah. and have a framework. And I've definitely noticed it in my own community uh, that I'm in professionally, in that something new might appear. And rather than look at it objectively, we look at it through the filter of this is what we know. And I think actually that's really limiting yeah that it's it's a there is an inexorability about that because you know when you're in your when you're in your little filter bubble or your silo with deep domain knowledge of that silo yes it's very comforting to sit there with other people with deep domain knowledge and aren't I clever here I am in my little tower and I'm terribly clever in my little tower quite threatening when there are people over there who know stuff that you don't and a lot of people people who do not have the growth mindset set want to stick in their little tower and don't want to hear what the other people have got to say or feel threatened by it the magic happens 
And actually, it was Sir Martin Sorrell of WPP who gave me this quotation once when I was writing another book. The magic happens when the circles intersect. So there's that circle there, say they're the biologists. Oh, there's that circle over there, say they're the, med say they're the medics. Oh, there's another circle over there, that's the systems engineers. Oh, there's another circle over there, they're the data analysts, but they're all in their separate circles. Smack it all together and you've actually got sort of data analytics big data that can be interrogated in a way that we never understood so that you can find that oh my god that person's got probably got pancreatic cancer or there's an, a pandemic coming from here oh look there's a way why why is this why is this sort of group of people de developing that particular disease right now the intersection of the circles is precisely where the magic happens and if you're not open to letting the circles intersect in your own life i think you're the poorer from it i mean you'll be pot, you'll be a nice pot bound plant you'll just you'll hack along but you know if you want to flourish the more you're open to it different stuff and it's not even nowadays the the sort of the morality or the ethics of inclusion and diversity it's the business case it's far more fascinating in life when you're talking to different people from different disciplines and different cultures and different ideas. That's when the magic happens. Mm, it really is. And one of the other things, you've talked about potting, but I want, there's another pot <laughs> I want to talk to you about. And it comes from that years, 10 years in that job. And another friend of mine had been at the, at the same job for nine years. And we were in a very, very similar headspace and mindset about how we felt about things, yet too terrified to leave because we had bills to pay. And I would always use the repotting, like, just need to be put into a bigger pot. And she would use the frog in the pot. Do you know oh, Yes. Is that the one where you just, if you, th if you put a, a frog in a boiling pan of water who would do such a thing but you know here's the here's the here's the thought process it's so sensible it will jump out again but if you mm -hmm. put a pot, if you put a frog in 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 just cold water and just gently heat it up it will broil to death mm. a lot of people are in relationships and jobs like that and look this is not to wave a stick or be judgmental about people who find themselves in situations where it's very difficult to get out of it um you know some people do find that equally you know we we do have agency there are choices so you have two options if you're in a suboptimal or a, even indeed a toxic situation either you learn to live with it and respond accordingly or you get out and then it's a question of everybody else around i mean one tries to do this increasingly in one's own life have the compassion for people who are trying to get out of situations i mean come on let's be honest about this you could i can write nice books about repotting your life and then some poor woman in being in, a, in an abusive situation who can't get out of that marriage will stick there because there's two kids and she doesn't know how to pay her own bills and you know what then they have, then then that's when either socially as a politician you have to figure out you know create support groups or as an individual anybody you know who you can help I mean we've just now talked about a really deeply sort of toxic relationship mm. or situation but there are other situations where people are just if they reach out if they reach out then in, in any way that you can to give people a hand I think that's probably your duty as a human being if you possibly can mm. um, because you know what it's 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 you think sometimes that you are stuck and yet with a bit of agency and a bit of help 
you will you will be able to get out of that and then when you look back at your life and you think how did I manage to sort that out or do that or get out and then it will be one person comes along as I say when the student is ready the master will appear or a support group or 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 you read an article or you listen to a podcast it is any of those triggers those catalysts that start you on the journey to repotting and who knows how it happens but I think that's why increasingly I encourage people to just read stuff they wouldn't normally read or watch television programs they wouldn't not normally listen to, listen to a podcast, you know, you, the ideas that come along and you think, oh my God, yes, they're speaking to me, they're speaking to me. Because when you are, when you're in that kind of headspace, you are more sort of liable to hear the messages. Just as I remember once when I, once, I was pregnant once, I was pregnant and everybody else in London seemed to be pregnant. I think, how can everybody else be pregnant in June 1989? Because you weren't really aware of pregnant women until you were pregnant. But when you find yourself in a situation, you will then realise there are other people in that situation. And nowadays, one of the very, very positive, positive affordances of social media is that you can find networks, you can find help, you know reach out that's the thing and genuinely I think that's always the, the the lesson I would say people will help even from the places you would never expect it's extraordinary how that happened that was honestly the reason why I started this podcast because I was listening to podcasts at a time and I didn't know it until later I was diagnosed later but I was depressed and so I would tap into all these conversations with really dynamic incredible people and it was very bolstering Look, you see, there you go. Look at you and, you know, you are stunning. Okay, honestly, podcast listeners, she is stunning, right? (laughs) And people say, what have you got to be depressed? Nobody knows. How did it manifest in your life? How did sort of feeling depressed manifest? Was it sort of like just lack of energy? Was it just... I think it had been present for a very, very long time. I, I I, I think actually the way it presented originally was just being a negative person. And then through the course of just experiencing life events and always seeing them negatively, just compounded until, yeah, no energy. I mean, there's a brilliant photograph I took of myself when I woke up one morning and I just look so bad, like my face is swollen. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm just clearly not right. But anyway, that's a, a side note. No, no. But then, then how did how did you did you reach out to other people, or what? Did you seek help, or how did you how did you go about sort of uprooting and repotting or managing this for yourself? Actually, probably I would say one of the big things that's relevant to our conversation is leaning into failure and just going, you know what, I've screwed up. I have absolutely messed Indeed. up. Everything that I've done up to this point is is a mistake and I need to fix it and that was why when my GP on my like fifth visit said if you come back to me again I'm going to put you on antidepressants I said but I'm not here because of a drug I'm here because I made really poor life choices yeah 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 and I need to undo that and I'll get better but you see that's what you've done this is exactly it you've got to name it and you've got to accept it but before you do that, if you, you know, because there are various ways out of this when you feel that kind of negativity, you can blame the rest of the world. That's the victim mentality. And we see a lot of that around. And in some cases, you are a victim. But in other cases, yeah, you made that decision and this is the outcome. So you've named it. Now, then you've got half a chance now with a bit of energy and a bit of help of reframing it, taming it, taming it, even admitting, yeah, it was me. I made a bad life choice. I've learned from that and I won't do that again. Or if I do, I'll get out of it quicker. You know, I'll, I'll make the same mistakes, but I'll recognise the failure quicker. Do you know what? Failure. I, I, do you know what? Once upon a time, 
think I've set for about 10 years on the William Hill Sports Book of the Year Award. And I think it was, you know, the Formula One uh, uh, genius, Enzo Ferrari. Um, and he said that failure is a test of courage. Uh, it, and it is a test of courage. He said, uh, when you win, you never know what has to be done. But when you fail, you're always sure of what has to be done. So when you're winning and things are successful, you think, oh, yeah, happy days. You don't even look at it. It's only when you fail that you start to interrogate yourself and learn the lessons. It's actually, let's, let's try and reframe failure. It's actually when you learn most. It's actually when you learn most from your... Oh, well, listen, yeah, everybody. You see, the other thing, too, is there's a huge spectrum between feeling you know joyously joie de vivre happy and clinically depressed you can't move those sort of black dog days that Winston Churchill used to call them when you can't get up from under the duvet there's this whole thing in between which is kind of a lethargy a sort of you know negativity a sort of suboptimal sort of just going through the motions going through the motions and a lot of lives are lived like that and for all sorts of reasons. But, you know, if you do have agency and you do have choices and you can create agency and you can create choices, your own choices. Well, then, I mean, I try and give people a few of the tools to deal with it. Everything's a process, you know, like you cannot from one day to the next just drag yourself out of things. So those expressions like pull up your socks or get over yourself are not helpful. You know, you don't say to people with a broken leg, oh, come on, let's go and run a marathon. You don't do that. It's a process of getting, it's a process to get into these situations and it's a process to get out of them one step at a time. Did you, ever, some have, help. Did you ever have to minimise a, a negative voice or have you always been quite, come on, let's, let's be having you? Because I think about going to Stanford in, in your mid-60s did you ever have that? Was there ever the voice at the back of your head saying, oh, for goodness sake, what are you doing? Or you can't do this or this is ridiculous. No, the reason I, I, I did such what the reason I engaged in such a radical rebotting was everything was a failure. Everything had finished. Not a failure. It was just like everything that there was nothing that was giving me any enjoyment. You know, the classic emptiness syndrome. So you've done a good job. You've brought up your daughter. Uh, I was in no relationship at the time. There were, none of the work I was doing was like in any way inspiring me at that stage, you know. So it was like, oh, this is it, is it? So it's just like, um, I'm not enjoying things. I'm not enjoying any area of my life. What are we going to do about it? So it's not oh happy days. Let's all go off to Stanford, you know, like like let you let your house and do that. It looked like it looks like a decision like that, but the truth was, I'd had enough. I'd had enough of just about everything that was going on around me. So it was time to repot. <laughs> Let's just do a radical version of it. So what would a less radical version look like? I mean, you must have you speak to a lot of people. I'm sure there must be sort of mini or diet or you know <laughs> well there, there we are I mean that that's really why I've in 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 the book reporting your life it, it started off as a memoir and then I cut all that out because you know very few people have the wherewithal that I was on my own my daughter was you know doing extraordinarily well she was fine uh, as it happened she just left a job in investment banking I, having been a, having read history she goes into trading equity derivatives in investment banking and has had, had enough of that after three enjoyed it but thought no that's it now I don't want to do that for the rest of my life she decided to go to Stanford to do, to do an MBA and it was at that time, that's where, that's where younger generations teach you a lesson. I thought, this is a 
this is a, a young woman of in her late 20s who when things aren't working isn't messing around like let's go and do something else and i think well i'm 65 and things aren't working there's no point sitting here in your sort of in your dotage whinging you go and change things too so learning these lessons from people who've got a bit more energy than you have to sort of like change things and then yeah as i say two other friends of mine were, were going on this program but what I'm trying to do is distill the, the, the quintessence of, of actionable things to do. I mean, even if you're in a job that you're not enjoying, it's easy to see when things are broken when they're physical. As I say, your broken iPhone, your broken washing machine, your car that won't start. And neither do you want to throw the, the, the towel in in a relationship or a job just because one day it's not working for you or you feel a bit grumpy. But if over time you realise that this really isn't working, it, it, it's, it's a question of how you recognise it, name it, as you were saying. It's only then you can tame the issue and reframe it, saying, OK, I will either learn the skills to tolerate this relationship or this job or this situation, respond differently, or I will get out of it. And then when you get out of it, there's some tips on how you uproot yourself. You know, one thing at a time, small lists, small things every day. It's a little bit like, you know, when people are trying to lose weight uh, and it's, oh my God, it looks awful, like they've got to lose a stone, 14 pounds. You know, you say, how about one pound a week? How about just stopping the sugar with your coffee? How about stopping that biscuit every time you have a cup of tea? Boom, gradual. And I think if people do things gradually, they're more likely to stick at it. Stick at it. Because everybody can reach a goal what is far more difficult is sticking with the process and the system. And I think that that's the thing. Systems, learning systems that you can stick to is the key, really, to, to, to repotting. I was thinking about uh, what uh, versions of repotting might look like, and I was just bringing my own personal experience into it. And I was thinking, actually, they are things that, when I look back, I was criticised for doing at the time. Uh, that look quite capricious that I was like let's do this bigger let's do this better or let's just drop this and start something new because the the voices around would be why it's working like it's fine and we get to go and have long lunches or you know that kind of it, it can seem like something that is seen as a negative I personally now don't see it as a negative in myself but previously I was sort of made to believe that I was being a nuisance for wanting to be better be bigger do different things yeah this is interesting you know they say that you are a reflection of the five people you spend the most time with so if you're surrounded by a group of energetic can-do sort of people you will be that person if you're suggest if you're surrounded by a lot of negative or can't do or why should we bother people it takes an awful lot of force not to fall into that trap i mean the, the, there's medical literature on this if you live in a in a family of drinkers you will probably be a drinker if you live in a family of overeaters you will probably be clinically or morbidly obese i mean it's like that so really when you find yourself in a community of people who aren't nurturing you in an environment that's not nurturing you like the soil in a pot again it takes a lot of strength to overcome that so it's either change change your mates or change your job but you, you're not wrong you have to have that little moral compass that little hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th do you want to tell people the big news 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Sort of North Pole within yourself saying, no, I'm right. I'm right. And that that takes courage, doesn't it, too? So what did you do in the end? Did you move out of that environment or did you just go with that flow until it became intolerable? It became intolerable. And then yeah. I was offered voluntary redundancy. <laughs> there you go. Happy days. <laughs> but you see, I, yeah, here you go. So that was a group of people who say, oh, this is OK, pro tem. And you were trying to do different stuff and like, let's improve. You know, there wouldn't have been voluntary redundancy. I'm sure. I'm sure things had been working better if it had been that group of creative. If, if a group of creative people like you had been together, the business would have flourished more. You know, well, the, the... one would hope. One would hope. <laughs> one would hope. Who knew? But you know, yeah. I love your honesty in saying things like failure and I you know and I'm I'm with a group of people and yeah, yeah this was what was happening. These things happen to a lot of people, so it really is having the courage to face up to stuff. And accepting yourself, not blame other people. You know what? I could see that happening. I wasn't feeling right. Either I go with the flow and I wasn't feeling good about that or I get out of this situation. Options. You know, yeah. As long as you I have the... I do look back on that situation and think it was very unfair of me to put a lot of pressure on people to want to do things that they clearly didn't want to do. Like that yeah. was the thing that I wasn't seeing at the time because I was just like, we can make this... I was like, Marty McFly, we can make this really amazing. Let's do it. Let's <laughs> uh, but you know what? You get a lot of that in Silicon Valley. And frankly, when you've got the right people around you, the magic does happen. When you've got people who are, I mean, as you know, that is the place where they talk about disruption all the time. They keep breaking things down and remaking them and breaking them and, and making them better. Um there was a period of my life when I was really massively interested in jazz. Uh, I still am, but I just don't have as much time as I, I used to to go and sort of, well, you can't go and listen to it live anymore at the moment. But anyway, and, 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 and there's a concept called recombinant innovation. It's like there's really nothing new under the sun. You know, even if you think of there's nothing new under the sun. It's just the way you take different elements of things and put them together differently. The, that's the basis of jazz, you know. The notes are there, the scales are there, the, the you know the instruments are there, but they'll just take something and they'll work with it and they'll improvise and they'll make something new and extraordinarily difficult. A lot of technology is is not new, nothing new under the sun. It's just the way they've smacked the various elements together, you know, like the the, the original iPod. If you remember that, uh, I mean that was nothing new in terms of technology. What was new is the idea that you can stream all the music in the world through a different system. I mean now if you look at your iPhone. My God, it's a piece of kit that was there. But the fact that you could have sort of all the music in the world in it, all the information in the world in it, all the messages in the world, all the documents in the world on it. So it's basically sometimes taking old things and putting them together in a different way and having that kind of mindset always, you know, OK, sometimes it's like, yeah, this is fine. But actually having the having the growth mindset to want to improve on things, incremental improvement all the time. I think that's a really healthy thing personally and professionally otherwise there's no growth mm. i'm back to my gardening metaphors now <laughs> no i i agree and there's and i and i have always thought it was a negative and actually that's why i found reading your book 
so validating in many ways because I thought actually I'm not a, I'm not a pain in the ass. <laughs> just want, I just think if there's an opportunity to make things better or do things better nine times out of ten not all the time obviously but nine times yeah. out of ten I want to pursue that. And yeah. I really appreciated being validated and like yeah. actually, that's a really good thing. You know, the the other thing one has to learn is like when you're repotting, and this is this is something, and this is especially true for women who say have been out of the workforce for a while. Maybe they've been looking after children, you know, sort of, sort of, you know, or or, or elderly parents or relations or whatever. They try and get back into the workforce, and there's a big gap in their CV. And you say, oh, you know, like this looks bad for you know potential employers. I've got a ten year gap, a five year gap in my CV. And what people tend to forget, especially women tend to forget, is they will have skills that they. Have have assimilated doing those jobs that are very valuable skills. I mean, the average mother is a timekeeper, a chief cook and bottle washer. She's a logistics manager. She is a financial operator. She's a chief information officer. She's the chief marketing officer. She, she's like everything. She's the chief operating officer and she's the chief executive. Maybe there's a bloke out there working somewhere, but do you know what I mean? It's like you've got a lot of skills, but you don't recognize these as skills. So when you're repotting, you have to sit down, I did, and say, well, okay, these are the skills I have, Francis. You can speak four languages. You can write. You can communicate. Okay, your IT skills are really fairly Jurassic, so you're going to have to work on that. Otherwise, you won't be able to do anything in a place like Stanford. So you realise what the gaps are in your skill set. Now, I put it to you. I, I, I get what you're saying. And you might go back when you hit my sort of great age and say, do you know what, Emma? What, yeah, I could see what I was doing there. I was so enthusiastic and I had all these ideas, but then there were these stuck in the muds and I just used to like whack them over the head metaphorically. Perhaps if I just upped my interpersonal skills <laughs> and just yeah. maybe communicated a bit a bit more nicely with them, you know, maybe maybe that maybe that would have done, you know, that maybe maybe I would have got them round to my way of thinking. So what you would do, especially somebody like you, I can just even see it from from our chat on podcast, you, you understand that maybe, yeah, maybe there's something that I should be working on in myself, a bit of a gap in my skill set that, that, that should make, that would have helped me next time. So it's always, it's always learning, isn't it? You, you learn from your failures, like, yeah, next time I'll do that better. <laughs> yeah, next time yeah. I'll next time I'll get them on side before I hammer them over the head. Yeah, <laughs> it's so funny. And looking for those different sources of information, one of the most impactful things I've done recently is watch a masterclass with a guy called Chris Boss, who's the FBI negotiator. And oh. via watching that course, I then relived that last experience and thought, oh, oh, I could have done that so differently. I could have done that so much better. You see, you've really got you've got you've got the mindset. You've got the growth mindset. It's like it's you're curious. You actually you've also got the sense of humor to look in on yourself. Oh, God, I really screwed that one up. I should have done that better. Because you know what? Nobody can change the facts of their life. They are what they are. What you can change is, is your response to them. And what you can change also is the genre that you decide to live your narrative in. If you want to be the little victim and have, you know, and we're all going to hear your paltry melodrama, you know, played out endlessly sob story. OK, you can just go in the tragedy box. I prefer to see my life as a comedy or an adventure story. And you look back and you say, Francis, how did you screw up so badly? I mean, what were you thinking? You know, why did you do that? 
and at least learn from it as or as I say if you don't learn from it at least learn you know not to do it so often or at least to learn your mistakes a little bit more swiftly so that is the growth mindset of the perennial repotter and just realize that never get stuck in the big I am never get stuck in the I know it all never get stuck in nobody can teach me anything never get stuck in the oh like people are useless I know everything you know reach out especially to people who aren't necessarily your your great friends and family I call them the weak links you know especially when you're trying to change your life the people whom you know well your family and your you know your, your close friends they know what you know and they know the you who you are if you want to change it's probably the weaker links you know i'm not talking about randoms you might meet in the supermarket i'm talking about people who might genuinely have an interest in helping you move and there are a lot of those people around you know in support groups or friends of friends who have sort of lived through similar situations to yourself so that's another element of sort of trying to move along in life and repot but again it really is key to have this kind of um look on life that you're prepared to have the humility I, it's the three h's i keep calling it the humility to say you know i screwed up i re and i don't know it all and i really wish i'd known that that humility and then the humanity to realize that everybody around you can teach you something and the most unexpected people sometimes come to your aid uh and therefore you should try and do the same back. And then the sense of humour, you know, humility, humanity, a sense of humour. Have a good laugh at how ridiculous you were or you the things you did. And like, yeah, turn, create your own genre. Turn the tragedy into a comedy. <laughs> Why not? I, um, I really appreciate as well the way... And again, it's a seductive thing to do, which is to see the world in black and white because everybody wants to feel like they know, they know what's what. Mm. And it comes back to what we we're just saying about failure. Actually, there's quite a lot in seeing it as a, I don't know, technicolor. World's going to be more beautiful if it's technicolor, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Rather than black and white. Well, I mean, life is not binary. I mean, life is not yes, no. I mean, it's, and neither do we want it all the shades of grey. We want it all the colours of the rainbow. It's exactly that. There's, there's always a million options out there. It isn't um, either I work 24-7 or I don't work at all, in between there will be, you know, it's 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 things like, for example, let's take the example of, I don't talk about work-life life balance, I talk about work-life integration, because there are various times of your life where you will be working far too hard, and other times of your life where you're not working that hard, but, you know, it's work-life integration. Periods of your life where you have to spend more time with family or friends because they need you, periods of your life where it really is time to now Put your head to the you know you know put put your shoulder to the wheel and do some hard work so i think it really is that openness to roll with the punches and to that, that it's a resilience it's a resilience you know sort of melded with the curiosity melded with the just like if you just think that everything that you learn and everybody you meet is going to is, is going to add to you i think it will you know what you begin to think is true will be true and look, listen, you say you moved from the beautician, you moved from hammering people because they won't they weren't disrupt a perfectly nice model and do something else. Look at what you're learning. And it's because of that that makes you a great interviewer. So you, 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 you're assimilating skills, they're adding to, the, they're adding to you, your personal brand, the, the person who you are. And it makes life more enjoyable for you. I, I find that with meeting new people, speaking different languages and, you know, interlacing myself in other cultures I find that 
massively rejuvenating and revivifying. Um, mm. And that's, I suppose, why I've found lockdown so difficult, sort of immured on my own in an office, because although you can Zoom call people, really there's nothing. We are pack animals. We we love to be together. And so I think once you've understood that. So, I mean, my recipe really is try and look after your own wellness and well-being. And by that, I don't mean that you have to be some sort of gym bunny, you know, or six pack, you know, you know, Sylvester Stallone. What I really mean is your your physical your mental, your emotional and your spiritual health, whatever spiritual means for you, it doesn't necessarily mean religious, but those four elements, your quadrinity of, of well-being and wellness are key. And we have to kind of really nurture and manage those. And purpose, if you don't have a purpose in life, whatever it is, I think that's when the rot really begins to set in. And if you have only ever defined yourself by a job title, you know, don't, you know, there's a lot of people who have a label and they mistake it for a life. Don't have a label and mistake it for a life. You you are more than that. And if that's all you are, well, then rethink that one. And then community. You know, you don't need a trillion friends. And having a trillion friends on Facebook is very nice, but it's not what I'm talking about. You need a few key people who you can trust in adversity to have a chat with, a glass of wine with, you know, you know, a meal out with uh, and and just be there for one another. So wellness and purpose and community, I think, is the key to, to managing a sort of halfway, a halfway equable um, long life. Mm. And <laughs> that, it makes that... your life bigger. I think it makes your world bigger. That's what I definitely noticed in lockdown. Obviously, all our worlds yeah. have become much smaller. And it's yeah. that thing of going back into the world and enlarging them again, but in a yes. way that's useful. And you mentioned this at the top of the podcast as well about how you didn't start writing this book in lockdown, but um, obviously that's since happened. But I think a lot of people, and maybe somebody listening to this, you're thinking, I really, I really feel over the last 14 months that I have come to understand that I need repotting, that actually I don't want to go back to how my life was before. What would you say to those people who maybe have, have had not just that sort of discomfort of maybe feeling they'd be reporting but they've been feeling it now for quite a substantial amount of time and not been able to really act i mean i think we'll sort of just go over the draw the draw the key lessons of what we've been discussing first of all identify what it really is i mean don't blame your partner if it's really that you hate your job don't blame your job if it's really that you hate your partner identify what the issue is and it could be anything. I mean, identify what it is. You know, identify that you don't like the way you are or you don't like the way you're drinking or that don't, you don't like the way you're reacting to people. You don't like the patterns you're, I, or, or whatever it is, identify it because the naming is key. At that point, you've started to tame what the problem is. And then, as I say, there are a lot of people and with huge compassion, we see them and they can't change the situation they're in. Okay, there are certain problems in life that are intractable. You can't, you know, you lose a job or somebody doesn't love you anymore or there's a sort of incurable illness. But there are a lot of problems that you could change, but maybe you don't have the wherewithal or the courage or right now you can't do it. For those people, they just, it's it's learning how to respond to situations rather than merely knee-jerk react to them. So that's one thing. 
if you want to get out of your pod, so this is not a judgmental thing like, oh, you should be moving, you should be doing that, like, well, you know, no, but if you do, it's a question of uprooting. And at that point, you need all your courage. As you know, you're in a job you don't like, but you have to pay what I call the gin bill, right? And it's difficult, especially if you're self-employed. No, you, it's very, very difficult. So you start doing, you know, what a good gardener would do. You do a plot assessment. You say, what's my skill set? What can I do? What could I possibly do? What's missing in my skill set? Okay, let's try, let's get it, let's go about sort of, filling that gap so that you you build your own these confidence building measures for yourself and then look around and see what's available so i mean we're talking about different things now it could be relationships it could be jobs it could be just getting out of a situation reach out to other people not even necessarily people you know there are a million support groups out there there are a million individual who individuals who'll help if you ask and it's then make a plan, make a realistic plan of what it is that you can do and you want to achieve. And then just do a really dreary little list of going through the things that you do, ticking them off the list. Because although it sounds banal, and you know what? I find it in myself. We all want to do the great big sort of, you know, sort of, yes, you know, be creative, be innovative, be disruptive. Oh, come on, one step at a time, small actionable tips, you know, like, Okay, maybe you need to downsize. Okay, have a look, you know, or maybe you need to move out of that apartment. So just go through the small actionable steps that it takes to get through that process. Process and system is everything in this. And then eventually you will meet, you will reach your goal. However impossible the goal seems at the end, if you just go through the small process of one step at a time, you'll get there in the end. That's the good news. The bad news is that it never finishes. It's like you're never done with your changes. I mean, don't have you ever not been on a part of your life? You think, great, that's done and dusted now. Like when you, I mean, in my case, you finish university, you think that's great, that's finished. No, no, you never stop. You never stop. But that's the excitement of it. And it's not as if every day, I mean, I don't want to sound like Pollyanna on steroids because that's really not the message at all. You know, it's only because I just felt pot bound and sick and tired and stuck that I embarked on this. And, you know, it, 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 it's when you rejuvenate yourself, it's actually helping yourself. It's actually mm. helping yourself to do things. And, you know, the odd book, the odd podcast, the odd television programme, the odd radio programme that all of a sudden speaks to you and you think, you know, I forget who it was, the philosopher who says, you know, God speaks to us when we're not paying it. You know, like you don't go to a church and expect the big, you know, God to boom out <laughs> like Francis, Emma, do this, do that. Actually, sometimes it's when you least expect it, the voice comes that tells you, you know, you're not happy. You ought to be doing this or that or do this or do that. So, you know, there's, there's, the world works in mysterious ways to tell you what to do. And and I think it's get out of your filter bubble. Stop reading the same old things. You know, listen to as wide a range of, of podcasts, radio shows, as wide a range of publications as it can, because that's where the ideas come from. If you stick in your own little filter bubble, your own little silo, well, you'll be stuck in the same kind of stuck mindset and you won't be able to move on. It's so true. And actually, uh, my great philosopher had a massive impact on me. True story was um, when I was listening to a podcast with RuPaul and RuPaul said, everybody has an internal saboteur and the internal saboteur is trying to get you alone so it can kill you. And that was when I realized. And that's when when I called up and said, I think I might be depressed. So there you go. Inspiration go. comes from lots of different yeah. places. Yeah, and here we are chatting about it. Uh, you know, it's not so very long ago that there is no way anybody would have said they were depressed. 
it's not so very long ago mm. you know it's like oh my god that's something that you hide you you know you shovel under the carpet maybe you'll be unemployable if you admit that you get depressed but now it's like great admit it say it out loud and then people can help you can start helping yourself identify what the, identify what the symptoms are also uh, i would say and i don't know if this is your experience i would say the majority of the brilliant people i know have all been through some sort of dark night of the soul mm. uh, or they've been on that spectrum whether it's depression or whether it's just very bleak periods in their life however they want to characterize it and additionally all of the best people i know have messed up yes oh absolutely absolutely <laughs> absolutely Again, we don't want people listening to this podcast and going out and failing and messing up on purpose. That's not the message. But the message is that pick yourself up, and learn the lessons and move on. Um, I think it was it was Winston Churchill who said um, success is the ability to move from one failure to another with no loss of enthusiasm. Well, I keep moving from one failure to another with no loss of enthusiasm. And I'm hoping that's I'm hoping Winston would call that success. <laughs> and I think what I really enjoy as well is you don't sugarcoat the fact that all of this is really hard. And I think when I was listening to all those podcasts about six, seven years ago, I realized that there was almost this, we'd fetishized success stories. Mm. And this person who didn't have a formal education or left their job and had a small idea and then, you know, yeah. Jeff Bezos of Amazon or whoever it might be. Whereas the stories that I really like are the people who uh, made, made huge success, kind of maybe by accident or by graft, if nothing else, lost it. <laughs> And yeah. they got it back again. That's got it back story. again. Yes, we like it. We like a happy ending, don't we? <laughs> we do. We do like a happy ending. Yeah, but well, we're always hearing these. We only ever hear the success stories. It's absolutely true. And there are a million people who work just as hard, who put as much effort in, who were as creative, who were as innovative, but either the timing was wrong or something went wrong. So success. I mean, we judge outcomes. We don't judge the journey. So I mean, that, that, that's that is unfortunately the case. But what would I say? about that um look you are the judge of your own narrative you're the judge of your own story you're the judge of your own life in the end it's up it's not for anybody else to judge what's what's good bad or indifferent um but i i do you do we fetishize success in a way that's it's not a bad thing especially if uh i mean i think the best success stories always do have that element where i made it so i i made it it was really easy i didn't even understand what i was doing oh and because i didn't understand what i was doing i lost it and then i made it again but the the, the complete sort of you know vertical curve upward success story that vertical trajectory to the stars i don't i don't buy that really i don't yeah. buy that I don't buy that. That those are look. I think I saw in the paper today that Elon Musk is saying that he's autistic. I think we all guessed that anyway. But yeah, and actually, it's because he's autistic that he sees things in a different way. He's actually reframed what other people would see as a negative or a problem into something like he sees things in different ways. That's of course also why sometimes he says odd things that people think, "Wow," you know. But he's he's identified that. I think that will be extraordinarily helpful to the autistic community or you know families with autistic children that a massively successful guy like Elon Musk who just sees things differently so again I suppose we're back to our inclusion and our diversity sort of conversation it's like yeah sometimes even things that look like negatives are real positives I think that's the thing I think we're this idea of growing up and 
2.4 children, job for life. Yeah. It, it's actually probably the least colourful journey you could go on. Maybe. Yeah. That's quite a bold thing for me to say, actually. <laughs> Listeners, you should have seen the grimace I just made. <laughs> it's um, not the only story. Shall we reframe that. It's not the only story. It's not the only paradigm of a happy, successful life. There are all, all sorts of models and paradigms of a happy, successful life. Yeah. When you look back on going to Stanford for that year, yeah, what would you say were the were the standout learnings for you in terms of yeah you repotted but what what were the things that you tangibly took away from that experience I tell, I tell you what happens right when you're young you've got loads of friends right you've got lots of friends then they start getting paired off and then they have children and all the rest of it and then you maybe then you go to work so you've got a lot of friends when you're young then you go to work you make a lot of friends through that if you have kids you meet kid, other parents and all the rest of it there comes a point in your life uh, especially if you're on your own as I am and it's you instead of accreting to your life in terms of friendships you start losing people I mean you lose them through death or they move away or they're busy or they you know they move to another part of the country so it's a and also when you get older life is you start losing things you know you, you sort of not in my case but but you know you might lose your sight or your hearing or your health and all the rest of it it's a process really when th there's been a common conception that getting older is a process of losing things right I go to Stanford, a completely new community. It was a question of accretion. It was adding things to yourself. It was actually generative as opposed to degenerative. And that was the thing. And it's repotting your life is not necessarily just for older people. But I do think there has been sort of in, in, in generally in life, because we haven't really thought about this fourth age, this sort of this age point post 65 where you know what, would you please have the common courtesy to pop your clogs because really the, the economy can't pay for you. There, there hasn't been enough thought given to what you're going to do with those those gifted years. And so you sort of, it's a slow, it's not that we're living longer. It's like, oh, you're kind of dying longer. No, it's it's a question. And I, I've learned that now. And it doesn't matter. It don't, you don't have to be older. It can happen at any time of your life where we want to be generative. We want to accrete the important things that does not mean more shoes, more clothes, accrete better relationships, accrete better experiences, accrete deep, deeper learning, accrete all sorts of other things that, that now matter to me. Um, you know, accrete, oh, I mean, I am now jealously guarding chunks of time to myself where I really want to read and think. Now, this is not, I hope, sort of the, the, the sort of a a reaction to covid but i think a lot of people don't spend enough time really sitting thinking uh it's difficult i know when we get back to normal whatever that will be but yeah time for regeneration time for regeneration would be my my my, my small answer my distilled answer to your question and then the to the total importance of community and the absolute key importance of having some kind of purpose in your life it does not have to be a stratospheric purpose it does not have to be going to the moon it does not have to be you know a startup company that's going to be a unicorn it's just even if it's like clean your step every morning or weed your garden or do some embroidery or read a book some purpose every single day i think that's key because when people lose purpose they they lose the will to live um and they get depressed I mean, that, that is, the I think, the key index. I think that's the key indicator of depression, when people don't see any purpose in what they're doing. Why so, bother? I mean, if, yeah, why bother? 
I bother. I mean, there's a lot of research going on now about sort of political and business leaders that you've really got to try and find for your employees meaning in their work. If they can't find it, like try and create it because you can give people the paycheck, but it's it's the things that make people happy in the workplace are the purpose, the passion and the paycheck, not just the paycheck. Mm. And actually, if you're not getting that, that yourself out of your work, you probably need to have a really you know, good rethink of what you're doing. I the, think the lolly itself isn't enough. Yeah, there's a culture, isn't there, as well, of distraction. And I guess we've leaned into that a lot in lockdown mm. because we've suddenly had more time. So using the free time, you said you're, you're uh, guarding your free times to read and, and do various mm. things. And yet there's been this uh, sort of trend recently of Netflix downloading, which is great, but this mm. idea of distraction and entertainment, does does that, obviously you can watch a documentary, that's not, they're not fact, but they are documentaries, they can be quite interesting, but can that actually take you away from that growth mindset a little bit, because you're a little No, bit... no, no, I mean, I think, I think there's also, I mean, it, we don't want to be too Spartan or too sort of roundhead about this, I mean, let's face it, there's all sorts of elements that you need, you know, that, that, that you need to nurture you, um, let's face it, Anything that involves your engagement, your intellectual and your mental in, or physical engagement, anything that involves your engagement rather than just being passively empty vessels being filled external from the outside, anything that involves your engagement has got to be more valuable than just passively accepting, you know, external sort of entertainment. Yeah, I love Netflix, you know, and I love the telly and I love that. But let's face it, anything that involves you getting engaged and thinking has got to be better for your synapses, your mental well-being, yeah. you know, anything that gets you thinking or mm, reflecting or mm, that's interesting has got to be better than just mindlessly sort of being entertained. Yeah. This is very true. Now, I know we it, the book does chart your journey to Stanford in many ways, but based on my reading it, and as listeners will know, I was... 36 when I left my old job and I wish I'd read this when I was 25. <laughs> oh, thing is, Emma, I wish I'd known it when I was 25. It's taken me 61 years to figure it out. <laughs> because the thing this, that, <laughs> isn't that the case? It, because it, it gives... It, it, I look, read it and thought, if I had read this, would I have had the courage to make the leap much, much sooner than I did? Would I have understood that actually I was... Str my roots were strangling me to death and rather than hope that they would suddenly, I don't know, untangle and bloom again. I think the thing is, the more you know that there are other people out there who are suffering the same symptoms as you and going through the same, you know, malaise as you, it's a little bit like, as I say, 10 years ago, nobody would ever in a broadcast say they were depressed. I mean, Never. I mean, it just wouldn't happen. You wouldn't you wouldn't you wouldn't even admit it to your GP. You would hardly you'd say you're feeling a bit down in the dumps or you couldn't sleep, but you'd never say I'm depressed. Right. So I think the thing is, because we're now all saying it and, and there's no sort of, you know, there's nothing negative about saying that now. It's, a, it's, it's an issue a lot of people confront and face. I think I think I think actually it's fine. I think if you read it now, you think, do you know what? Yeah, that's what's happening to me. Oh, I wonder what I should do about it. Yeah. And, and that's what I'm trying to say about we realise that there is help out there and that there are other people who've lived what you've lived. You're not on your own in this because the, the awful thing about depression is, um, you know, that I have, I think it was Baudelaire, I have felt the wind of the wings of madness. It's like you think you're in this cocoon of cotton wool on your own and you are. That's how depression 
manifests and, 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 and that's how you feel. Then you realise there's a load of people. There's other people who are going around who feel that they've got wire wool in their heads and, you know, they don't want to get that from under the duvet or they just can't be bothered. It's, if it's not even as extreme as that, it's like, I really can't be fagged, you know. <laughs> I mean, I had a I had a Damascene moment. I think I mentioned it in the book. I was doing a lot of after dinner speaking, and then you know, it was a really bad gig one evening. It's like, oh, you know, it was just going on too long, and people were misbehaving. And then the next day, my agent wanted to send me on a really nice gig to do a motivational speech. I said, I can't be bothered. So, like, when you can't be bothered to do your own motivational speech, you know, there's trouble. And I think it's that when you realise that other people are feeling that, and they've been through the same, they, they're there are other people out there and they have got a few tools and techniques things that they did small actionable steps i think that genuinely does help i think that gen that genuinely does help or at least that's what happened to me you know you you heard somebody say something i heard somebody i saw somebody on the television a little a plant that was me and sometimes yeah you never know where the, you never know where the answer's going to come from but if you're just on the lookout for it it will arrive. Well, Gotta believe that. There are a ton of action plans and there is no way that you can read this and not be able to then make the steps to repot if that's what you so wish to do because it's such a brilliant book and it and honestly the other thing i said when i was talking i was saying listeners to my uh, to francis uh, before we started recording that i was speaking to my parents saying i read this book and it was so amazing and if i could write like anyone that i have read i would want to write like you Yes. Oh, you break my heart. That is, you really made my day. I don't think I'm going to go and sob now. <laughs> Thank you so much. Honestly, that means so much to me. And that's all I want, really, that people read it. They laugh a, bit, a little bit, maybe they cry a little bit. And maybe if there's something not going on in their lives or something they want to change, either radically or even in a small way, I hope they'll find some help to do that. That's yeah. really, well, that's really the, uh, that's the idea. Well, to keep us in the uh, gardening metaphors, you there was a, a seed planted when I read this book. <laughs> so thank you so much. Listeners, the links thank to you. Francis and the book will be in the show notes. But thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Emma. It's been an absolute joy. I'm, I, I really have enjoyed this interview. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Francis and me. If you would like to get in touch with me, all you have to do is email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com or you can DM me on Instagram and Twitter where I am at Emma Guns. If you would like to chat to me and thousands of other listeners of this podcast, then I invite you to join the Facebook forum. All you have to do is click the link to join in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. Answer a couple of questions and then you'll be welcomed in with open arms to talk about anything you like. Post a new comment, start a new thread, do whatever you like. We can't wait to see you there. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.